We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You hear that? You have the right to the pursuit of happiness. Who's happy right now? Good, good, good. Who expected to be happy after the election? (laughs) Who's surprised that the election has gone this way? Who's tired of talking about the election? (laughs) But I want you to notice something about that most famous declaration from the Declaration of Independence. Thank you. You have the right to the pursuit of happiness. You are not guaranteed happiness. That's important. You are responsible for your own happiness. No document gives it to you. No candidate gives it to you. No government, no politician. And really, honestly, no other human being should give you your happiness. It means you have a responsibility. You have a role. You are responsible in your happiness. And I want to talk to you today in an uncertain world about how we pursue that in our world as disciples of Messiah Yeshua with a commission. Not you sold a lot of things and you're getting a commission. A commission to go and do the work of the kingdom. Who in the room is a disciple of Yeshua? I hope everyone, if not, we can talk afterwards. I'll explain who he is, what he did, and why you should be. As a disciple, what do we do as a disciple of Messiah? Not as a citizen of the United States or Norway or South Africa, a citizen of heaven. As those who are not of the world, right? But in the world, that's what Yeshua said. And the truth of the matter is that's a little bit confusing and it's been taken way out of context. He told me I'm in the world, not of it. No, actually what he said is, yeah, Father, help them because they are not of this world like me. But I didn't ask you to take them out of the world. He says that. He says, I didn't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. Just as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. So wait, am I in it or am I not in it? Should I act like I'm really in this world or should I be heavenward and looking up all the time and floating on a cloud? Yeshua said, I'm here for a reason and so are you. And when you dedicated your life to him, that too came with a responsibility, a role, a citizenship in heaven. And I promise you, after this, after this week, we're going to get back to the Bible. We're in the Bible now, and we're going to be today. But we're going to get back to it in a little bit more direct and, and, and learning kind of way with a series uh, on elementary principles, and it's going to be really good. I'm counting on that. But today, let's finish this, Okay. Let's finish this. 
And the truth is, what I'm going to say today, I don't think if this goes viral, as they say, I don't think if this gets out in a very broad stream that it would be very popular, what I'm going to say. And I told, I was talking with Travis before services, I, I've, I've wrestled with God. I've asked permission for how much I can say today. How much, how incredibly transparent can I actually be? How much of what I'm feeling inside can I transfer out to you and have it be meaningful versus uh, 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 negative? And the truth of the matter is he has not, as usual, texted me anything. No emails, no calls, no Facebook, nothing. Just trust in the Ruach HaKodesh to lead the conversation. I'm leaving that to you, Damien. So let's go. Let's finish this. This will be real. This will be authentic. And this is how we maintain our sanity as citizens of heaven sent to this world where we absolutely are called to engage in the repair of this world. So let's get the bad stuff out of the way. There's a, there's a teaching among the sages of Israel that says that the, the world will last 6,000 years. Right, David? The world as we know it will last 6,000 years in the seventh year, in the seventh millennia. That is the age of Messiah. That's the time at which Messiah, well, it won't start exactly then because get this, it's not as if Yeshua's feet show, hit, the, hit the ground and all of a sudden everything's fixed. Interestingly, there's things that need to happen even in advance of that. The temple doesn't just drop out of heaven like the new Israel. That's got to be constructed. So when we come into the age of the seventh millennia, the time of peace, things will have already happened by then. We might have already seen Yeshua. But for the sake of this argument, it's the year 5781. If the rabbis are correct, and it makes sense, 6,000, six is the number of man, seven is the number of completion, Eight, which would be the eighth millennia, is the new. So we see our world for 6,000 years. We see the Messianic age for 1,000. And then we see the Olam Haba, the new Jerusalem for eternity, beginning in the eighth millennia. This is all a side note. It's just interesting stuff that's been discussed through Judaism. Here's the bad news. If, if it's 5781... And the Messianic age doesn't begin until 6,000. Guess what? We got a little while to go. I am in no way suggesting that anyone knows the time of Messiah. Only Yeshua knows. I mean, only the Father knows that. Even Yeshua said, I, it's up to him. And there are some amazing and interesting, and I'm getting way off track, but there are some amazing and interesting thoughts and, and writings in the Talmud and all over the place, Jewish thought about how, how that can be sped up or, or it's going to happen in its, in its own time. But regardless, God knows when it's going to happen. But also regardless, if for the sake of argument, it's 200 and what is that math? 219 years away? Woo, man. Oh. What does that say? First of all, will you stay with me for a little longer than I usually talk today? 
because I may need just a few more minutes to get this where it needs to go. The world is not the best. Everyone is angry. You know what? No matter your side in American politics right now, you either think someone is a sore loser or you think they're a cheater. They're either a whining loser or someone who rigged the system. And everybody's angry. And neither of those types of people, cheaters and babies, are appreciated very much by people. No one likes those types of people. But that's not surprising. Here's the thing. I'm talking about this world. I'm talking about this world right here. The disconnected, disgruntled, disenfranchised, disappointed, disillusioned, dis disgusted, angry world. This one right here. And you know what? It shouldn't surprise anyone that it looks like this. It shouldn't. Because as we edge ever closer to the days of Messiah, this is what the graph looks like for, for peace, happiness, and prosperity in the world. As we edge toward the coming of Messiah and the rise of man under his leadership, this is the curve getting to that point. It shouldn't surprise us that the world, this world, looks like this. Forget politics. It's not the solution. As we discussed previously, our leaders are, they're, 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 they're pawns in the hand of God. Honestly, all of us are if we could really be humble enough to admit that. God orders the steps of man, all men and women. But our leaders are no different than that. They just happen to have some position and power. But he will do what he does with them. You can trust that. But there's a much bigger issue afoot. Matthew 24, not the most uplifting of, of words. We read a little bit from Luke. Um, where do we read, Miranda? 17, Luke 17. We read about the days of Lot and the days of Noah. And this is the Torah portion that speaks of the destruction of Sodom and Lot and his wife and the, the binding of Isaac. It's an incredible Torah portion, even though we're not talking about it. You need to read and study Vayera this week. But listen, these are not happy words that he's talking in Matthew 24. The disciples, you know what, they're normal guys, but they're, they're living in a very, very difficult world. No one really, really, really thinks about this unless you get historical and contextual. The world was a bad, bad place then. Rome, Greek, pagan idolatry, factions within Judaism warring against one another, Sadducees, Pharisees, Zealots, Essenes, all of these people. And they, they were like, they were unhappy. That's why they were begging for Messiah to come and establish his kingdom on earth. And so here's what they said. The disciples, 
You know, th- th- there was anger in their world. There was a lot of dis and dare world too, okay? And they asked him this very good question. You're the Messiah, we believe that. So here's the deal, Yeshua. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, hence the name of this discussion, which is called the Olivet Discourse, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And he starts. You ready for what he says? You ready to get empowered, excited, and ready? He says, see to it no one misleads you, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Then they'll deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And then the doozy for our day, because lawlessness has increased, the love of many will grow cold. Has anyone taken a look around and ever felt at right now that lawlessness may be increasing in our society, in our world? The sad reality is, and this is also another side note, the Torah was removed. The Torah, the law of God, the instruction, the the loving word of God was removed from much of the believing community 2,000 some years ago. So that's a challenge. But I'm talking about society at large. It's lawless, right, Mr. Charles? It's lawless. And this should not surprise us either and does not. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Oh, great. That is encouraging. Wow. Okay. How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to endure? His coming will be preceded by extremely difficult hardships. In, in Hebrew called the Hevle Mashiach, the birth pangs of Messiah. You've heard this before. You should have heard it before because Yeshua says that in verse 8 of chapter 24, but all these things are merely the beginnings of the birth pangs. Hint, Jesus was very in tune with the Jewish ideas and teachings of his day. So he, he connects this birth pangs. Really tough times, I'm telling you. Really tough times. And a little paragraph in the, in the Gospels doesn't quite capture the depth of the, 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 the difficulty of these times. So much so that there are three very well-known rabbis in the Talmud who say, let Messiah come after my death so that I don't have to face these challenges. Faithful guys who loved God and cried out for Messiah but instead said, let him come after. I don't know if I can handle it. Let him come, but let me not see it, it says in Sanhedrin 98. That's pretty big. So first off, no matter how, no matter how bad we might think it is, take heart. It's not as bad as it's going to get. Is that comforting? I told you we're going to get the bad part out of the way, okay? Be grateful that we're not there yet. No matter what we think of what's happening in the world, we're nowhere near there. Secondly, recognize that what is happening is supposed to happen, predicted to happen. And if we believe that Yeshua is the prophet of all prophets, we can take comfort in the fact that it is happening. And Hevle Mashiach, the love of many growing cold, the birth pangs, that means he's, that means possibly he's closer than he was yesterday or last week or pre-COVID or whatever. But what do we do? 
What do we do? What is the action? What do we do right now? How do we take hold of that promise of enduring to the end and being saved? Well, I can tell you one instinct that many will feel, some will feel in this room probably right now. Retreat. Not, not, as, a, not as a coward, not as a quitter, not as, not as anything like that. Just, let's call it build a boat. Build a boat build a boat. And I'm making a connection that I hope you might see. Noah built a boat. A safe choice, danger, trouble, difficulty, retreat, remove myself from the danger. Noah receives very mixed reviews in the commentary, doesn't he, David? Very mixed reviews. It says he's righteous, and yet... Maybe he wasn't so righteous. Why? Why would that be said? Well, Jonathan Sachs has a wonderful section that I'll read you. Noah was a good man in a bad age, but his influence on the life of his contemporaries was apparently non-existent. Do you hear that? How many entered the boat? Noah and his family. How many outside of their family? Zero. His influence on his contemporaries was apparently non-existent. That is implicit in God's statement. You alone have I found righteous in this whole generation. It's implicit also in the fact that only Noah and his family with the animals were saved. It's reasonable to assume that these two facts, Noah's righteousness and his lack of influence on his contemporaries are intimately related. What he's saying is Noah preserved who he was by taking him out of the world and not attempting to impact the rest of the world. That is a retreat, okay? That's what I mean by retreat. And the thing is, it's a safe, it's a safe option. But God told him to build the boat, Rabbi. Yeah, he did, but not just for himself necessarily. I don't remember seeing that. Which brings us to another interesting quote from the Talmud. In Sanhedrin, we're told that the students of Rav Elazar asked him, what should a man do? And this is relevant to our conversation. What should a man do to be saved from the birth pangs of Messiah? The times that I've said we potentially could be entering in, they ask him, we too don't want to suffer through this. What should we do? He says, Torah study and acts of kindness. Torah study and more importantly, even acts of kindness, though they're, of course, both related to one another. That was his reply. He should involve himself with Torah study and acts of kindness. Noah could be accused, even in his righteousness and faithful trusting in God, of missing the mark. What mark? Engaging in acts of kindness, even when the world is destructing around you. Living in a dreadful time, knowing the world was destined for disaster. Retreat is not an op option. And the Hasidim have a great comparison, uh, a great story about Noah. They call Noah, anyone speak Yiddish? They call Noah tzaddikim pelts. A tzaddikim pelts. A righteous man in a fur coat. If someone can explain to me what that means, I will give you a freshly baked challah next week. What in the world does that mean? Righteous 
in a fur coat, tzaddikim pelts. Here's what it means. And this is where Noah is criticized. There are essentially two ways of keeping warm on a cold night. You can wear a thick coat or you can light a fire. Wear a coat and you warm yourself. Light a fire and you warm others too. Tzaddikim pelts, in case you want to remember that. When the days are dark and cold, our calling is to look for ways to light the path and warm the world. We are supposed to light a fire. Now, we need to look no further than our Torah portion to see the opposite of that. To see a fire lit. Who lit a fire? Literally, Abraham opens this Torah portion by lighting a fire. What does he do? He invites the travelers in for hospitality and says, let me prepare you a meal. Come on. So he's, he's welcoming strangers. That was one of Abraham's great gifts, hospitality, along with faith and being a friend of God and all kinds of other incredible things. But here's the other thing. And also, Abraham, Abraham brought many people to worship God. He brought, made many disciples of Hashem, the God of what would be Israel. Many disciples. But more importantly, what we find in this Torah portion this week, and it's perfect timing, the destruction of Sodom. But what does Abraham do? He pleads, he begs, he petitions, he argues almost with God and say, you surely the righteous judge of all the earth would not condemn the righteous with the wicked. What if there are 50? What if there are 40? What if there are 30? Right? He refuses to just go, let, let the ship go down without a fight. He puts himself out there. He says, God, come on, I'm making an effort. He attempts to engage in acts of kindness, even in the face of incredible wickedness. Now listen, think about this. Has there ever been a time in your life when some bad thing happened to people that in your mind you said, they deserve it. They're horribly wicked. They're bad people. Surely God cursed them and did what he is entitled to do. I have thought that. That's the exact opposite of what Abraham does. He says, I know they're mostly foul, but what if there's only 10? And God agrees. I'll save the town. But he doesn't. But some were saved, and a lot were not. And do you want to know why? Here's why. Lot, when he's being talking with his angels, they see, who else do you have here? A son-in-law, your sons and daughters, whomever. Bring them out. We're about to destroy this place because their outcry has went out. And so Lot goes and speaks to his, to his sons and daughters. And you know what the Torah says? It says they basically thought he was a clown. They, they, they took him as a comedian. They thought, oh, geez, Lot, you fanatical religious nut. That's something you might prepare yourself to hear in the days ahead. You fanatical religious nut. To many, we look like comedians. We look like fools, like clowns. You believe what? 
Have you read the Bible? It talks about slavery and, and treating women badly, and there's blood and animals getting killed and all kinds of stuff. I mean, God was not into climate. He had a big flood that killed the whole place. That was a joke. You, you do what? You go to synagogue? You go to worship services? What? Come on. Well, uh, can you, can you go with the times, man? And you think what? You close-minded. You, 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 you foul racist. But Rabbi, that is the world, and it is increasing, and you're telling me to, to light a fire and do acts of kindness and blah, 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 and no one's listening, and I feel like Lot, and I feel like every prophet. I'm trying to share. I'm trying to light a fire, and nobody's listening. And I look around at the world. Where, where do you want me to do that? Where do you want me to represent Yeshua? Where do you want me to, to teach people about the love of God and the, 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 to study God's word? Where are those people who care? The world is this, the world is that, the world, the world, the world. Furthermore, I'm angry about what's happening in the world. I want to be angry. Yeshua got angry, didn't he? Yes, he did sometimes. He turned over the tables. Yes, he did. And there is a time for standing up for things. We are, as a matter of fact, obligated to stand up for the name of God, for the honor. It's called Kedush Hashem, the sanctification of God's name. That is incumbent upon us. It is incumbent upon us to stand against injustice. Yeshua certainly did that. He stood for those who couldn't stand for themselves. And, he, and particularly for women, the women at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the woman who washed his feet. I mean, he was always advocating. Always advocating. He was not a wuss. He was not a, hmm, hit me in the face, I'll give me the other one. Hey. Nobody even knows what that means. That doesn't mean get walked all over and be an idiot. He was not that, but he was someone who lit a big fire. And he was always willing to engage in conversation and discussion. To have the hard talk, the love talk, the rebuke talk, the sad talk, his fire burned for all. But I want you to listen very, very carefully to me about what I'm about to tell you. In Luke 10, he sent out 36 pairs, 72 people. Where did he send them out? Do you know where he sent them out? I'll tell you where he sent them out because this, this doesn't have to be interactive. He sent them to all the towns into which he was about to go. I don't even know if I had picked up on that until very recently. He sent them to all the towns he was about to go into. To do what? To light a fire. Not literally, of course. It says if you go in and you find a man and you give him your peace, if he's a man of peace, it will stay with him. If not, it will return to you. If you are embraced in this town, in essence, and I'm paraphrasing it, stay there, eat there, heal the sick, do all kinds of things. But if you're not, 
If they spit on your fire, shake the dust off your feet and go. And say what? (laughs) Better in Sodom than for you. These are the words of Jesus the Christ. I am tired, I'm tired of being, um, I'm tired of feeling, attacked isn't even the word because that sounds so wussy. I'm tired of having the things that are most important in my life treated as if they are rubbish. I'm tired of looking at people who purport to be something so noble and altruistic and, 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 and just servants of, of society and the world. And they disdain my God. They have disdain for the things that we value. I'm tired of it. I've been tired of it. But I'm really tired of it now. The antidote for depression and despair as the birth pangs of, birth pangs of Messiah come upon us as they emerge more clearly is that we do more acts of kindness to light a brighter fire. And guess what? Everybody gets an invitation to your fire. Everybody gets an invitation to your fire because do you know what I fear most? Do you know what the most, the scariest thing in the Bible to me is? Because it is such a horribly easy weakness to fall into. Don't judge others because the measure with which you use to judge them will be used upon you. That scares me. I don't want the measure I have used to measure others used against me. I want to change that. So what I'm saying with that point is everyone gets an invitation to your fire, just like Yeshua's fire. And just like go into the towns and invite them, come on, let's talk, let's talk. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Let me tell you about the kingdom. Let me tell you who, who I am, he says. No one, no one, nobody has permission to spit on or quench my fire. And you know, these are those delicate moments because I am angry. And what I really want to say, if I can just be totally frank and I'll clear it up some, I won't, is just, if you don't like it, get the hell out. Literally. Literally. Because that's where it ends up. But that's not what we're going to say. Okay? That's just my angry, like, flesh saying, I'm tired of you. I know God doesn't give up on us. 
ever. If they don't accept your fire, shake off the dust. Okay? Your peace is up to you. Your pursuit of happiness rests with you. Lot's sons, he, he gave them an opportunity. They laughed at him. Not every town accepted the gospel of the coming kingdom. The disciples, they shook off their feet and moved on. Nothing and no one extinguished that fire. And particularly looking around in the world right now and seeing things happening that we know are going to happen, we just accept it and we light the fire. Our world is driven, our world is driven by feelings, not foundations. And people are so concerned about feeling good that they've stopped doing good. Uh, I didn't get enough likes. The evildoer is controlled by his heart, but the righteous are in control of their heart. The heart is the seat of emotion. The heart is the thing that drives you. Atomic habits, James Clear says, you know what? We feel before we think. Anyone ever felt and reacted before you thought about what you were going to react yeah, that's a dangerous thing, right? But it says the righteous are in control of their heart. The evildoer is controlled by his heart. And the world, as I said, is all about, ooh, I just, uh, oh, that, that scares me. I need, some, I need somewhere safe. That's not the life of a disciple. It's not safe. But he prayed for you specifically. He said, Father, I didn't tell you to take them out, but to protect them from the evil one. And that's a really, really valuable thing to have when Messiah is praying for you and advocating for your protection. So that happened. Count on it. I'm sorry to say it. There are a lot of people in the world that I disagree with. A lot of people that I disagree with. And the truth is, I don't think I'm ever going to agree with them. And I just have to be honest about that right now. From the, from the you know what, I'll just, I'll just say it. I'll just put my foot all the way in my mouth. I already said hell in a sermon, and not in a good way. From the... From the from the radical left, like, let's never drive a car with gasoline again. Come on, give me a break. From the radical, radical, climate-controlled, left, crazy things, and God made the world and we should take care of it. Absolutely. All the way to the right, far right, neo-Nazi filthy excuse for a human being that lives and breathes on this earth. Both of them, to me, I don't know that I'm ever going to find an agreement with them. And what I'm telling you today, which is the sort of difficult and very non-Jesus-is-a-friend-of-mine teaching is that I think that has to be okay. I think it has to be okay. 
The world has been in turmoil since day six. So I'm sorry I got so excited. What I'm telling you is you don't have to worry about that. The way you survive and the way you stay sane and the way you, you, you live with Torah and acts of kindness is to light a fire and make it very, very bright. Because you see, on a dark and cold time in the world, your fire, which is built on acts of service, study of God's word, living and loving God as he should be loved, and loving others as he has loved you, builds an inferno, an, a spiritual inferno that people will be drawn to. And if they are not, I was in Amway a long time ago. <laughs> there was a statement in Amway because, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd call people and invite them to a meeting and you wouldn't ever tell them what it was. And they'd be, well, what is it? I can't tell you that. No, no, no. Well, no, it, and all kinds of workarounds and circles and everything. And, and usually no one ever came. Or if they did come, they got mad at you and they never spoke to you again. Or maybe they bought a bar of soap or some really bad tasting nutritional bars or something. But Amway had a phrase. Actually, first of all, Amway is the reason that Richard Eisner is a believer in Messiah Yeshua. My dad, that was a turning point in his life, was by something someone said at an Amway conference, God can work anywhere. <laughs> but I also, when my dad, listen to this, again, off topic, I need to get us back. You remind me where I was. My dad told me when I was 15, he was in Amway, he was really pushing it, he's a doctor, but he didn't care, he just wanted to, he was going to be an Amway superstar, right? And my dad told me in high school, he was reading all these books and listening to all these motivational tapes, he said, Damien, here's the deal, you're 15, you need a car. For every book you read and write a paper on it, to me, a one-page report of your book, Zig Ziglar, all of, the, all of the, the motivators, all the Les Brown, Tony Robbins, all these different guys, for every one of those that you read and write me a one-page paper, I'm going to give you $250 or something. Maybe it was $100, inflation, you know. <laughs> and do you know what I thought? Dad, you are, you are so silly. I'm going to read these books. I'm going to jot like three sentences down and I am going to be driving down the road in no time. But I read the books. And somewhere in my, somewhere in my file cabinet, those 15 to 16-year-old books that my dad paid me to buy a Ford Bronco with, Stick. So as a side note, for any young parents or anyone actually, read some books, as Nacho Libre says. 
Now here's the point. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That, it was so important where I was. I, God help me get back. But Amway has this phrase. Some will, some won't. So what next? What in the world does that have to do with a Messianic Jewish Shabbat service? My friends, the world is falling. And I'm not saying that like Chicken Little, and I'm not saying that like some kind of conspiracy theorist or weirdo. The world is on a downward trajectory. We don't have to like wallow in misery and fear about that. That's expected. That's the way it's going to happen. But how you survive is to study God's word and perform acts of kindness. You build an inferno that is your life. And it shines where you go. And people are attracted to it. Some will, some won't, so what next? That sounds incredibly callous, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, I am going to devote my attention to people who want to be warmed by the fire. I may plant a seed here and there in someone, and that's fine. That's in God's hands. It is our task at this point in life to devote ourselves to lighting a fire, and it's right here. And people will come to it. And they need you. And they need your attention. And it doesn't matter if they voted for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. It doesn't matter if they were a drug addict, crackhead on the streets in New York, like one of our fans. Uh, fans. Uh, <laughs> one of our members. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> fans. Fans. Or, or we have people who are into witchcraft, who had altars and idols. We have people who were just all kinds of bad things. And there's a ton of those out there who are looking for your fire. They're looking for it. So, I want to encourage you. No matter what happens, and yes, we don't even know who the President of the United States is. There's an inkling of what's happening, but I don't give two hoots, actually. Actually, I do. You know what? If I can be honest, if they pull our 501c3, okay, sorry. I am a little bit angry about the election because I am afraid that the guy I voted for is not going to win. And I think that has repercussions on our society. And, and I'm not overly excited about what those are going to look like. But you know what? You know what? <laughs> well, Satan, Satan's put the president in the White House. A Satan, ruler of the airways. He's, Satan could care less who's in the White House. He could care less. Do you know what he wants? He wants more of this. He wants confusion and anger. And as long as he can keep everybody banging heads, he's winning. He doesn't care about red and blue states. He's not doing a dance under the White House with a pitchfork and horns. 
He's rejoicing because there's just potentially even more discord and anger. And I'll, I'll close because it has been a long time. But I see so clearly now, back in December when Kelly and I were having a conversation about the fire seems to be burning out here at Nacham Wami. It really does. It's, it's, it's what, what's happening? Kelly, we've been working for 10 years. I see it so clearly now. Shalom, Megan. And I said, Kelly, people are going to laugh at that. They're going to think we're stupid. But it's what we got to do. Shalom, Megan. We're not going to set the building on fire, but this is going to be a fire. It is a fire. That was the whole point. And the At the center and the heart of it is peace. And guess what? Not everyone's going to come and a lot of people aren't going to come. And a lot of people are going to think, you know what? They're weird. And a lot of people are going to think we're idiots because we do Jewish things or even because we believe in God. And some people are going to think I'm a deceived heretic for telling you some will, some won't, so what next? I'm trying to bring some peace into our world. Let everyone think what they want. While everyone wears their righteous fur coats, we'll light fires. Yeah? And yes, occasionally we will need to turn over some tables, and we will occasionally need to raise our voice. And, and, and you know what, friends? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to endure to the end? Do you want to make a difference? The more good you do, the less bad you'll notice. That is a math equation. Good is greater than, not equal, greater than, Paul, good, math major, good, greater than, bad. The more good you do, the less bad you notice. It is your perspective. It is your worldview. It is your vision to do good, to light a big and bright fire. And I love this quote, and this is where we're ending. George Bernard Shaw. This is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Being a force of nature, Instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live it, is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no candle for me. It's a sort of which I have got hold of the moment. And I make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it off to future generations. Amen. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. It's hard when I'm reading it. It's life is not a brief candle. It's a burning torch of which you have hold of for just a moment. 
Making my point, we light a fire. And this, there is a true solution to this problem. We are of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, eagerly awaiting him to return. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. That's the solution, okay? Until then, we don't retreat. We don't waste our time casting pearls before swine. We don't engage in endless word battles. We don't buy fur coats. Instead, strike the match and light the fire. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.